Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. How's it going? Welcome to Friday's Football Social Daily with the new Premier League season now just seven days away. Yes, this time next week, the 22-23 campaign will kick off in earnest, but the official curtain raiser, if you like, is tomorrow where Manchester City, last season's title winners, play Liverpool, last season's FA Cup winners in the Community Shield. Is this just a precursor to what we might see in the tussle for the title next term? We'll get stuck into that. Plus, we'll round up the latest transfer news as Everton spend £20 million to bring in Burnley's Dwight McNeil. And could an Arsenal legend be on his way back to the Premier League after his contract at his current club was cancelled? And could he go back to the Emirates as well? Welcome to the show. You can follow us on Twitter. It's at FSDpod, our new page. And you can hit subscribe too wherever you listen to your podcasts to get a brand new episode of Football Social Daily each and every day of the season, starting from when that first ball is kicked next week. And you'll be delighted to know that along with me, Niall, on the ride for the rest of the season, Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson, who are with me for today's Friday fun. Morning, boys. Good morning. How are you? I'm all right, actually. Yeah, not too bad. It's crept around, though, isn't it? I could have done with another two weeks of just chilling out, but the Community <laughs> Shield is here. So, you know, <laughs> we've got to get stuck back into it. It's the one you've always <laughs> been waiting for. Having experienced the Community Shield as a supporter... Um, it is quite a lot of fun, but I couldn't imagine being a Man City fan where you basically go to Wembley every July or every. Oh, surely, every... surely the novelty's wore off. Sure. Well, we actually lost well, it's, when it's, we went. It's different we... this year because they're at the King Power. So that's very true. It's been They'll played in it. Leicester and not Wembley. That is very true. You, know, you can't turn your nose up at a trip to Wembley as a football. How come? Fan. That, how come? Oh, because of the Euros, of course. Yeah. So the Women's Euro, which we'll talk about actually later on in the podcast, because I think it deserves a mention. Um, that's taking place at Wembley on Sunday. England versus Germany and the Community Shield has been moved to Leicester, which um, I'm not sure why they couldn't have just done it somewhere further north. It's a two-hour drive for Manchester City fans and a three-hour drive for Liverpool fans. But, you know, that's the way it goes sometimes in football. You you know, make the effort to travel to watch your team potentially win silverware. It is the first piece of silverware of the season. My first question is an important one before we get stuck into the fact that it is Man City against Liverpool. Is the Community Shield legitimate silverware, Marley? What do you reckon? Yes, I think it is, because the only way you can qualify to win it is to win something. So if it was like an invitational of like, oh, we think this is the best game for that weekend or whatever, then fine. But like then, then you've got a point when you say, oh, it's not, it's not a real trophy. But I think if you if you have to win a league or a cup to qualify to even play in this game, then I think it, it, it is a real trophy. Like it's not the most desirable, but... You know, neither is the League Cup and the the uh, Johnston's pin and stuff like that that you get in the lower leagues. Like, it's just <laughs> it's it's and as well as it, when it works out as the two clear best teams in the country, which it, you know does more than it doesn't. Then I think it's you know it's something to watch. Like it's going to be a good game on Saturday, even though 
you know, I think Liverpool not quite at their strongest and you're both coming off the back of pre-season, a very short pre-season, so it could have a bit of a, a different feel to it. Um, but when it's the two best teams in the country, who isn't sitting and watch it? Like, you've had no football for like two or three weeks or slightly longer, maybe. So you get to sit down and watch Man City play Liverpool and they're the clear two best teams in the country. And even as a neutral, it's always going to be a good game because they both don't they don't back down to each other. They they take each other on and it's uh, it's a good little spectacle to start the season. Jose Mourinho always used to count the Community Shield as a trophy. So if it's good enough for him, I think it's good enough for most people. <laughs> <laughs> this guy loves winning silverware. Uh, Man City against Liverpool then. I mean, for me, as... Marley kind of touched upon there, Joel. These two are the best two teams in the league. They were last season. They probably will be again this season, barring someone coming through and really giving them a run for their money. So do you think this in some ways is sort of a little preview, precursor to a likely title battle in 2022-23 in the Premier League between these two teams? I think this game in particular, no, just because... Well, I think first and foremost, Liverpool are going to be slightly more weak. And for example, Alisson's going to miss the game. So I think Manchester City fans are quite excited to see Haaland against Adrian in goal, which will be quite an interesting one. Um, but I think it's very it's a very different narrative going into this game. I think automatically everyone's comparing it as, you know, the Nunez versus Haaland game rather than before where it was always the front threes against each other of like Salah, Mane, uh, Firmino and now that's all kind of changed so everyone's focusing mainly on the on the striking pairs at the moment which I mean <clears throat> for me I think Nunes is going to take a hell of a lot of time to slowly adapt into that Liverpool side as Klopp keeps basically mentioning it after every game when the spotlight is constantly on him but I think it's going to be as the community shield always is it's just a chance for teams to show off the new signings for Fans to have a nice day out, well, originally at Wembley, but this time at the King Power. And by the way, it's about time it got brought out of London for a change because all the northern clubs had to travel all the way down constantly, whereas the London fans could just get out of bed quite easily, don't have to get the early train in the morning, don't have to wait for the late train late at night. I mean, it's been super easy for them, so um, it's about time it got moved around, in my opinion. Uh, but it is, I've, I've always enjoyed the Community Shield games and as, as difficult as it is to say for a United fan, this is just as a, a non-biased, completely partisan opinion. It is good to see Liverpool against City, especially in the last few years, just because the games, they've always been such high quality. And in the Community Shield, I've always liked the games anyway because they, go, they, they, they don't have to play as if it's a cup final. It's just a, a flashy friendly game where you go all out try new tactics out but I think with this one because they've been constantly battling each other and because it's anticipated as well that they're going to be battling each other for the Premier League and probably many other cups next season um, I'm sure it's a good little psychological jab before they actually get into the ring the next few weeks so it'll be it'll be a good little test I think both managers will be taking it seriously well the one that loses won't be but before it they'll definitely want it you always get that interest in psychology where these are the two best teams and one of them's going to have to watch the other lift a trophy. 
um, right before the season begins. And that can either kind of give one side confidence or spur the opposition on to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Either way, Marley, you know it's the start of a new season because Jurgen Klopp's chimed up again and started his moaning again. He's moaning that this game's being played now 90 days after the end of the last Premier League season. I mean, when is Jurgen Klopp not moaning for one? And secondly, do you think the Community Shield still has significance in the calendar? Is Jurgen Klopp right? Should this become a pre-season fair? It's still technically pre-season, but it's right at the end of it. Should we play it at the end of the regular season as kind of like a, a, a final hurrah at the end of a campaign? What do you think? Uh, I've never really, I've never really thought about it like that as like a as a season ender rather than a season starter. But um, I think I think if it went to the end of last season, everyone would be like, "What's the point in this one more game? Like, let's let's just you know, let's just let these players go on holiday." Like, and I'm sure Klopp would be firmly in that camp. Um, but that, it's just tradition, isn't it? I, I do sometimes have a problem with, with how Klopp goes about things. And, you know, f- football works in different ways in in every country. Everybody has different different traditions. And, you know, one of ours is, is this. I know it came around early, but it's a freak, a freak thing that's never happened in the history of football before, that the fact that the World Cup is in December and is, is pushing everything closer. You know, it's not... It's not the Premier League's fault. Mm-hmm. It's not anyone in England's fault. It's it's FIFA giving a, an unknown country the World Cup in an unknown month in you know a random uh, a random year that, like I say, is nav- hasn't happened in a hundred years of, of football. So it's not a um, it's nothing against him. It's just something that happens. But you know, it's it's just one of them. You know, get on with it. Just let's. It's a, it's a spectacle at the end of the day. It doesn't really matter if you lose, as as, as you say. Um, and it's a chance to have that psychological edge when City and Liverpool meet for the first time in the league. The one that's lost the game is thinking they beat us last time. Um, you know, we can't do what we did then. Probably differently, you can change things. You can get a read on your opponent. Like, I, I can't think of a perfect a more perfect thing for Liverpool, really, than facing someone like Erling Haaland on the first day of the season and to see what he's all about. And like, in a in a completely free game, like, where it doesn't matter if you lose, if he skins you down the line because you're showing him onto his right foot and he whips in a cross or, you know, smashes one past the goalkeeper on his right foot, you think, right, I've got to keep him off his right foot because I've seen all his highlights, I've studied all the tape, but I've never played against him in person. So... What what better way to get used to someone new? And same goes for Julian Alvarez. Um, and the same goes for like Calvin Phillips in the City side and whoever else they've signed that's new. You know, what, what better way to, to get used to them than to play against them for 90 minutes in a match that doesn't really matter, but everybody's still trying, uh, trying the hardest. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. I just wonder whether we will see full strength teams just a week before the season begins. Are Jurgen Klopp, are Pep Guardiola, are those two managers going to risk... Um, playing their key players potentially with, you know, even though there's silverware on offer with the season just seven days away, you know, risk of injuries and stuff like that and fitness concerns, will they be creeping in or do they just go full strength? Will we see Harlan, Joel? Will we see Darwin and yes? Will we see these fresh faces that have arrived in both camps? Yeah, I think you'd you, you'd expect it from both managers, I think, because it is still pre-season, so they wanna, they're going to want to get their main first teams with some game time in the legs because as we know 
the season's approaching pretty quickly and they're going to want to start off very fast. And as we've seen in the previous seasons as well, there's no room for them for either side to drop any points now because they're both so consistent that let's say one of them did approach the first game a little bit lethargic or lacking fitness and they drop points come the end of the season, those those may be the points that actually lose them the title. Um, so every game now is probably more pressured than it has been in any other Premier League campaign for a good amount of time, I would say. But I think, just like Marley was saying as well, I think the fact that, I think this is probably one of the more interesting games we'll have seen before we actually see them in the official competition, just because they've both got target men now, where in the previous years it's always been that kind of very fluid front three where the the middleman wasn't really a real cent- central guy who stayed in the box and you knew he was there out and out number nine. Now we've got both sides who have both signed some top, top strikers in Haaland and Nunez who are going to be the guy in the middle. Um, so I'm really interested to see how both of them set up, how they actually adapt to a team which has been so used to basically passing the ball in the net or counter-attacking in the Liverpool side. So I think it's going to be really interesting. I think Nunez is going to have a, a way more of a slow burner um, just because that Liverpool side ran like a well-oiled machine with that front three. I think I think the biggest point I would raise is that I think Manchester City have gone into this game strengthened and I think Liverpool are weaker just purely because I think Sadio Mane's departure is just absolutely massive, more underrated than I think people are actually realising. But it's going to be a really interesting game and I think Man City will probably take the edge in this one just because I feel as though his signings are, are going to just take to it a little bit quicker than Klopp's have. So Joel thinks City, do you think Liverpool Marley? Who do you reckon? Give us a quick little prediction. No, I, th- I think City should have this. Um I think the 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 fact that Allison is missing, um, you, I mean, Joel said uh, Adrian in goal. I'm not sure Adrian will get the nod ahead of that the Irish fella that Kelleher, who's looked pretty good. I don't know if he's injured as well, but um, I think he's uh, he's in line for the start. But that and uh, and Jota's absence and you know Nunez has, has struggled a little bit in preseason. Scored I think he scored four against Leipzig to be fair, but he hasn't fully hit the ground running whereas I think City are a bit more just that little bit stronger right now um, and I think the timing's right for City to, to take this and I'm expecting them to uh, to roll them over. Manchester City against Liverpool, it's the Community Shield it's the first, not official game of the season but it's the first piece of silverware on offer and it will take place at King Power Stadium on Saturday the reason it's being played at Leicester's ground is because England's women, the Lionesses, are in the final of the Euros at Wembley. Normally, this is a Premier League podcast, but considering how well they've done, I think they deserve a special mention. We'll talk about them next after this. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League show when the football season begins, which is on the 6th of August, or if you're a purist, technically tomorrow with the Community Shield. But fear not, we'll be back with a new show every 24 hours during the 22-23 campaign, and you won't miss one as long as you hit subscribe. You can also keep up to date with the podcast on social media. You can follow us on our new Twitter. It's at FSDPod. 
Now, there has been international football this summer. Normally, in the summer of 2022, there'd be a Men's World Cup. But as Marley mentioned before the break, that has been moved to the winter due to the fact it's being played in the searing Middle Eastern heat and Qatar will be the host venue for this year's FIFA World Cup. Uh, So the international football on offer this summer has been taking place right here in the UK and it's been the women's Euros of which England's Lionesses have been absolutely scintillating. They've basically burned through everyone in their path. They've destroyed teams. They've had to come from behind to beat teams and they are now in the final which will take place at Wembley on Sunday and they'll take on Germany. Not strictly Premier League and we are of course a Premier League podcast but I think we should discuss this because there are plenty of Premier League clubs who do have women's teams representing them in the WSL. Now we often talk on this podcast, Marley, about how football's a game for all. This is not just great for the women's game to see the growth and see so many young people attending their first football matches, watching Lionesses matches, but also for the game in general. I think it can only be a positive thing the way that this tournament has gone down. Yeah, I think um, we're seeing a a sort of big boost in, in women's football. I think the world is has changed over the last 20 years um, where, you know, it it wasn't really a thing growing up, especially like I'm 30, I've just just turned 31 and women's football wasn't really a thing when when I was in school and and not not sort of like offered really. Um, But now, you know, there's there's a much more sort of um, liberal society in general and women's football is one thing that thrived off the back of it. I think... You know, as you said before, most teams, most men's teams have now got a women's, a women's club as well, and that's it's becoming, you know, um, quite a, a resourceful thing. You know, Man United have chucked a, a fair bit of money at their women's team, uh, as have Man City, as have Chelsea. Um, there's been talk in the past about Emma Hayes moving into the the men's game at some point if um, if a team is is brave enough to to make that step. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, the 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 mood around the country with with regards to the women's game is is only like booming. You know, I I, I was on a a tram um, in Manchester on the opening day of um, England play Old Trafford in the first game, um, and I was on the way back from a from a music gig, and it was it was rammed. I, I totally forgot that it was even, you know, sort of happening because I was focused on getting to my gig and stuff and came back and I was like why is this so busy and I was like oh Christ it was a women's women's football at Old Trafford so it was just you know you had to wait you had to let two trams go past before you even got on the tram because there was that many people packed out of it and you you heard people on the thing they travel from London and Birmingham to come and watch it um and it was just you know it was the the men's game feel but in the women's game uh rather than seeing the 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 guys we talk about all the time so it's good. It can't. It can't be bad for for anyone. Like it can't be bad for for the country. Um, you know, we've we've showcased it. We've got the infrastructure to do it in England as well. I think they've done a pretty good job of of putting the tournament on at the minute. Um, and obviously, England are in the final, and you know, England versus Germany in a in a major tournament final is has a, a little poetic symmetry to it of of sixty six and all the rest of it. And you know, it's it's the perfect final, really. What does this say about English football in general, Joel, in terms of the fact that the men's team reached the final of Euro 2020, which was, of course, played in 2021 last summer? They ended up losing out to Italy, but that was a home tournament. They got to the final. The women's Euros, home tournament. The women are in the final and fingers crossed they can get over the line on Sunday. What does this show about the state of 
of English football in general and on the international level in particular, because even in recent years, we've seen England's youth teams, the age group teams, I think, was it the under 17s that won the World Cup when Phil Foden was in the squad and some other players were in and around it? Uh, I think the under 19s won the Euros, uh, I think earlier on this year, actually. Um, so there's some really exciting talent there of age 18 and below. So what do you think this shows about English football on the international stage? Well, it's going to be brought home quicker than the men could do it, which is quite poetic, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it's just showing how good the infrastructure and the foundations are in this country with, in terms of football. I mean, the sport is literally the, the, the lungs, the oxygen that gives the country a, a massive lift. I mean, I even remember during, um covid times just how much we were all suffering when there was no sport on because it is it is the the lifeblood of so many different cities and communities and how people go about the days and share moments with their friends i mean when i look back to my own childhood i was as soon as i got back from high school i would be out playing football until the sun went down and they were my best memories um playing with friends and just they develop so much more than just I, I know it's a very cliche it's more than just the sport but it actually is because it gives people a purpose and discipline and all these different life skills that you don't even realize you're learning until afterwards when you actually realize the skills that you've taken from it um, and I think with football in this country because it's such a passionate and um, valued aspects of society at the moment and it always has been probably since it first came into the country um he just shows right now just how how much investment i would say i think especially in women's football it's been shown i mean you even have to look at manchester united for example i think pre-2015 there wasn't even a women's team and now they're a pretty prominent side in the women's super league uh which just shows how how much more inclusive bigger clubs are becoming when it comes to women's football it's kind of the norm it's beginning it's beginning to become the norm now for clubs to actually have a women's team which is great because i remember being in school and seeing us all the guys playing football and even though football is meant to be a very inclusive sport you know regardless of race culture anything like that with gender, it always seemed to be one which was kind of accepted, which was that the guys played and the girls, uh, they won't be very good at it. So it, we just continue as it is. And that was just accepted. And it just is crazy to me how how much has changed within 10 years, where now you've got selling out stadiums for women's football and tournaments, whereas maybe, you know, 15, 20 years ago, it would never have been the case. I think that just goes to show it's just a massive culture, um, massive community acceptance, societal acceptance, which sometimes is needed. You do need a massive cultural shift when it comes to these kind of things uh, for it to be generally accepted. It does take time, but I think we're at a stage now where it's really reaching a nice peak where it should continue to lift off. And when you start rising in popularity, sponsors want to sponsors want to get involved more people want to get involved and that's how you start to raise the profile and I think it's really great for this country to have that yeah I hope we see more fans watching the WSL teams as well of their respective clubs you know you think about the size of some of these teams in the Premier League Chelsea Arsenal Manchester United Manchester City and yet they just get a fraction of the numbers that will turn up to watch the men's team that watch the women's team still good numbers albeit the sport is still growing but hopefully this tournament can propel those numbers to get more eyes on the sport but what I will say from a personal perspective is I commentated on my first football match eight years ago 
and it was a women's FA Cup game and there was about 30 people in the ground and five of them were <laughs> were people that I was working with and um, the way the sport has exploded and grown mainly in the last two, three years really is nothing short of insane um, considering you know that that was my first ever sort of piece of, of football broadcasting was eight years ago doing that women's FA Cup game on a piece of AstroTurf at a uni pitch that no one really um, turned up to to now see teams um, and, and the national team competing in front of, what, 75,000 at Old Trafford in that first game. It's, it's incredible, really. So good luck to the Lionesses. I thought it would be remiss of us not to mention how well they've done through this Euro tournament. So all the best to them. Good luck against Germany on Sunday. We're going to focus back on the Premier League next. Transfers is what we're going to talk about because the transfer window has been an interesting one this summer, but it's certainly not dead. Some deals to discuss, some ones that have been sewn up and some ones that might not get over the line after all. We'll talk about those after this. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. This is FSD, Football Social Daily. Hope you're having a good Friday and looking forward to the weekend. It means it's just seven days now until the new Premier League season begins and we will see some fresh faces in the Premier League, but we'll also see some familiar faces, albeit playing for different clubs. And one of those is Dwight McNeil. The young Burnley winger has left Turf Moor to sign for Everton. He's linked up with Frank Lampard's side. £20 million. It's cost the toffees. What are your thoughts on... Dwight McNeil and Everton's business with this one, Marley. Uh, I think Everton's uh, transfer strategy is just to just to pillage uh, Burnley players. You know, he's got just got Tarkowski uh, linked with Corney and eventually signed McNeil. So if Josh Brownhill sits tight, he'll end up in uh, in Merseyside as well with them. But it's um, it's a move that it, it makes sense. I think he's worth taking a chance on for the price because. If Burnley came back up to the Premier League, like next season, for example, the chances are they're gonna be, they're gonna have got there because of the form of Dwight McNeil. Like he would, he would be a really big player in the Championship for them. And if they came up to the Premier League and then you tried to buy him, Burnley would be like, right, give us fifty million because that's because he's English and that's that's what we value him at, value him at. Whereas if you get him now and you take a bit of a chance, you, what was it, 15, 20 million quid, this 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 deal, it's not really, you know, Everton have, have just wasted so much money in, in previous years that 20 million is, is something that could they, they could have it as a bit of a bargain if he works out. I think they needed a replacement for Richarlison, obviously. Um, it's a big ask, but McNeil is, is a player with potential. I think he would... He was struggling to get to get it at Burnley. It's like to keep progressing and keep getting better as Burnley slowly, you know, went stale and got worse and eventually got relegated. You know, I, I always thought with McNeil, if he played under a better, a more forward-thinking manager who can can get a little bit more out of him, I thought that would maybe sell him onto the next level and, and bring him through a little bit more to the point where people would be talking about him getting in the England squad. Um, and is Everton the club to do that? I'm not really sure because they do have massive problems that they've got to sort out before the season starts. Um, but, you know, if it all goes well, 
he's uh, he, you know he's only early twenties and he's twenty one, twenty two, something like that. So he's got plenty of time and he's on his hands to to get better and to progress and mature into a a, a player who can be targeting England caps and and all that all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think as well the fact that he's got experience playing in a team like Burnley, who aren't particularly known for that cut and thrust style. It's it's sort of more. A, a regimented style that Sean Dyche used to play. And a lot of people said, well, how is a winger sort of like Dwight McNeil going to get much joy playing for Burnley? But he did manage to. And I think that that's a mark of actually how talented he is and could be. I think in terms of his statistics, Joel, he's one of the best younger players in the Premier League and has been for the last few seasons. In terms of games played, he always seems to be fit. He doesn't seem to be injured that often. He's still got potential because he's in his early 20s. 20 million quid seems a... A decent fee, but he's going to an Everton side who, much like Burnley last season, did struggle. So do you think that experience of tussling at the bottom end of the Premier League will be a benefit? I'm sorry, I'm going to have to be a bit cutthroat on this signing because I'm wondering, I'm thinking Mashiri's got some enemies working next to him because 20 million for a guy who scored zero goals in 38 games is madness. Absolute madness. He he has got enemies next to him, I'm telling you. Whoever's been spending his money over the last three years wants him to fail. They want him bankrupt and they want him gone. I'm convinced. Because who on earth pays 20 million? Everton need goals. They've just lost Richarlison. 60 million, all right, that's a fair deal for them. They've just signed a guy from a relegated club who didn't score in a whole campaign. Where where did they get this figure from? Like I'm just really confused because Everton fans must be wondering why are we in this position when we're getting invested in so much? We've got a new stadium on the way. This the, this is the reason why. I'm, uh, no shade to Dwight McNeil, by the way. I do think he's a really good player. On the eye, he's a good player. On the eye. But when you need goals and when your team is probably one of the favourites to be in a relegation battle next season, I think it's fair to say, these are not the players who are going to get you out of the out of the dirt again. And for twenty million, Everton fans must be realizing this is the reason why we're in this mess because they don't have a recruitment policy. Their recruitment policy is literally, you know what? I don't even know how to define it. Is that bad? Look at the signings who have gone on a free transfer in this summer. Sigurdsson, fifty million. I don't even know what they got out of him. Um, you've got players who are injured you've got players who are probably going to leave on a cut fee or have left on a cut fee you've got Marcel Brands who left who literally squandered I don't even know how many millions it's a disaster at Everton they really need to bring in someone who knows how to manage money I don't even know if it's Mashiri himself who's actually going on football managers database and looking at young promising English players and thinking I'm going to take him (laughs) honestly it's the most bizarre strategy I've ever seen and if they go down and Mashiri looks at, you know, the amount of money that's been spent, his money that he's been investing in, he's going to look back and think, I cannot believe I've let these people spend, qualified people apparently, in quotation marks, spend my money in this way and I've got nothing to show for it. And I think it's going to be a really hard realisation for Everton fans next season. Um, when they find themselves in a very similar situation. I don't think they've improved at all. I think they've probably regressed with that Richarlison sale. Um, And I just feel like these signings are ones which are very... They're very tentative. I just feel like they need way more than this. But I know they're not in a position to actually attract what may be needed. But then again, 
They've tried to go that route. They've signed Barcelona's cast-offs. It's not worked at all. So, honestly, I feel as though they need an excavation process at Everton. They really need to start understanding what is the blueprint for this football club again because right now it feels like it's away with the wind and it's it's been clear to see for the last, what, three to four years now? So, yeah, no shade on Dwight McNeil if he's listening. I think he's, he's, he's a good player, but gosh, 20 million... I mean, I scored zero goals in the last season. Does that mean I'm 20 million or what? (laughs) I mean, talk about excavation. Everton posted a video on their Twitter of what their new ground is looking like right now. And it looks the exact same as it did 12 months ago. Just a bit of dirt on a dock in Liverpool with a few steel structures (laughs) being built. You know, when you first came on the podcast, Joel, you were quite a measured guy, quite nice, quite friendly, quite positive. You've just, we've broken you. You've, you've turned into Mr. <laughs> you've turned into Mourinho, cynical about everything, driving people into the ground. I don't know what's happened to you. <laughs> no, I think, I think at the start I tried to be too PG, but now that, that time's ended. <laughs> I don't know if this is a COVID side effect, maybe potentially. But guys, I'm, I'm suffering with side effects of COVID. So maybe next week I'll be a little bit more nicer, but I'm sorry. But when these issues come around, I cannot be PG anymore. It has to be said. <laughs> well, what are your thoughts on Joel's thoughts? on Everton you can follow us on Twitter at FSDpod let us know do you think that someone's in Mashiri's ear making him trying to go bankrupt that's what Joel thinks 20 million for Dwight McNeil that's been confirmed one deal that seems to be simmering away rumbling on or completely off the table depending on which newspaper you read is the potential signing for Manchester City of the Brighton fullback Mark Kukurea he's Brighton's player of the season certainly one of the unsung heroes last season as Brighton finished in their highest ever league position in the history of the club. They finished ninth in the top flight under Graham Potter. One newspaper says, Marley, that Manchester City are aborting the pursuit of the Brighton man. Another newspaper I've read this morning said that they're willing to pay an extra 10 million and go up to 40 million to try and sign him. Have City left themselves light in this area? And because we're now a week away from the season and they don't have another left back, really. They've got the young lad who's um, probably going to play deputy to Joao Cancelo, but doesn't really have any experience of senior football. So they probably do need a replacement, particularly with Zinchenko going the other way, leaving to go to Arsenal. So um, what do you make of it all? Yeah, I, I agree. They need a, they need someone to come in. Um I don't, whether that's I, I can't really see it being Cucurella, um for some reason. I just don't. I think Brighton are in a good position where they can say, you know, who, what's the rush here? Like, we don't need to sell him. We don't. Uh, you know, it's not like he's forcing his way out. He's only been at Brighton a year. There's very few players around the world that that would do one season at, at Brighton do pretty well. I think he won the Player of the Season. Um, and then go, right, sorry, I'm leaving. I want to go to Man City. Because there's a chance... There's, I think when Cucurella does eventually leave Brighton, there'll be people that want him. Um, and he's not in a massive rush rate, I don't think. So I can't see City getting in this year, maybe next year, or if, if the situation's the same. But um, I did. I read something recently about um, Benfica's Grimaldo, available for like 17 million quid. And he's been one of the sort of like leading left backs in Europe that gets linked with every club that that um that needs a, a full back for for about four or five years now and he's he, he, if you watch him play he looks like a, a he looks like a a Pep Guardiola player like very comfortable in possession very attack minded 
and has an absolutely insane left foot for crossing and free kicks and things like that. Um, and there was a report that he's, he's up for 20 million euros, like 17 million quid. So if if there is alternate targets, I think there is a bargain to be had there somewhere at City. And if we do know anything about Man City, it's how um, they they will be prepared to be patient in the in the window and make sure they're not getting ripped off. If they have to pay a high fee because there's only players out there available for high fees like like Phillips and like Haaland, for example, and like Grealish, you know, they will they will do their due diligence and, and look around before deciding on a on a on a player and if you look at how they've they've sort of uh went to Benfica in the past, they've got Ruben Diaz from there like, you know, two years ago. So going back there and have him sort of come in and and hit the ground running would be something that 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 uh, that would play in his favor I think. Yeah, Mark Kukure is obviously a player who is capable of doing that job and an opportunity to move to Manchester City is probably not something he thought would happen only 3 or 4 years ago when he was playing in La Liga and you know in one of the mid-table clubs there so it's certainly been a a real rise for him but I understand the Brighton fans on this one. You know, they say why would we sell a player of the season? with no time to replace him for any less than what he's worth. And if he's worth 50 million to them, then they're going to hold out for 50 million. And actually speaking to Russ from the Brighton Rock podcast on Football Social Daily a few weeks ago, he said that Tony Bloom is a pretty tough negotiator. He's one of the toughest around, maybe second only to to Daniel Levy, who I think is probably more tight-fisted than tough. But um, I don't think that, that Brighton are going to let Kukurea go unless they get exactly what they want for him. And it's up to Manchester City to pay that. At the moment, with Zinchenko going to Arsenal, they've only got two left backs. One of them, Joao Cancelo, who you think will start most games. But we know what Pep's like with rotation. He's not going to want him to start every game of the season. The other is Josh Wilson Esbrand, who might get a chance really to show exactly what he can do. Just a young player who's been playing in the under 23s. Talking of Arsenal and Zinchenko, they could add some uh, other fresh faces. They've already added Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus from Man City. Could they add someone who used to play there and is a bit of an Arsenal legend? I'm talking about Aaron Ramsey who's now a free agent after his contract at Juventus was cancelled by mutual consent. A Wales international, they're going to need him to be fit for the World Cup in Qatar at the end of the year. He'll need to stay fit, much like Gareth Bale's gone to America to try and keep his fitness up. Aaron Ramsey will probably need to do the same thing. Can you see him returning to the Premier League, Joel? Do you think we might see him back in the top flight of English football and in an Arsenal shirt? For me, no. I think... After watching him um, at Rangers, I didn't think he was that impressive at all, to be honest. I feel like it's the same as it is. You did well to see him at Rangers. He spent the most of the time injured. <laughs> well, the only One of the main times I saw him was when he missed his penalty in the uh, final. I don't think he'll be welcome <laughs> back at Rangers anymore. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think he's regressed massively. Ever since he joined Juventus, where he was actually still, I would say, at the top of his game, maybe just slightly regressing. Um, but I think Juventus realised they'd paid an absolute extortion for him in terms of his salary. I don't even know what it was reported, but it was one of the highest earners at Juventus uh, purely because they got him on a free transfer. But I think he, his time has passed to actually be a Premier League player. I've heard that there's little rumours of Nottingham Forest potentially going in for him, but I think it's a lot of money to pay someone who cannot guarantee you 30 games in a Premier League season where he's going to be fit. I think romance in football is pretty much is a bit of a myth. 
I know that Arsenal fans were kind of even siding with potentially Wilshire coming back on a little, you know, pay-as-you-play kind of contract, but I'm sorry, but these kind of things just don't work. Arsenal are at a different level compared to where Ramsey is right now, and that chapter's pretty much finished. Um, Wilshire just retired. He just said, "Well, Arsenal don't back. I'm just going to quit." <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's had enough. I'm pretty sure he was hanging around that training pitch, doing a few little flicks and sombrero flicks in front of Arteta <laughs> to see if he could get a, another contract, but clearly didn't work. Yeah, Jack um, Wilshire did twelve thousand kickups in three days at, uh, <laughs> at Colney, <laughs> just uh, just knocking around, <laughs> doing a few step overs, few elasticos. You run out the other bits, but yeah, it didn't work. But um, yeah, I think with Ramsey, it's it's the same situation as Gareth Bale. I think he's in now where, well, maybe not for Bale because I still think he could have offered a quite a lot of quality in the top flight still, or in the top level, should I say? But with Ramsey, I think they're in the similar boat where their time has passed now at the top level. Uh, they need to start basically finding a place to call home until the World Cup. Um, it seems as though both of them have kind of lost their way with the career path in terms of club football but in terms of international football they've still got such a fire in the belly which is really nice but of course you need to be picked based on merit as well And but these two are just kind of such figure pin Welsh players that they're always going to be picked aren't they so there's no doubt about whether they'll be in the squad or not it's purely just a fitness thing and I think for Ramsey judging on his fitness past I don't think the championship is a wise decision for him um, maybe even going to LA could be a good decision. Yeah, well, he's 31 in December on Boxing Day, actually, just looking at his profile here. I've just Googled Aaron Ramsey just to see what the news articles are that pop up. And we've got here, former Rangers man available on a free. Aaron Ramsey attracting MLS interests. Nottingham Forest could make a move for Aaron Ramsey. But the one that seems to be popping up the most, Marley, is Newcastle United. Newcastle tipped to sign the free agent just days after he becomes available. Would you take Aaron Ramsey? Um, Joel says his time at the top level might be done. Uh, I suspect that having just played for Juventus and played in in the Europa League with Rangers, that he doesn't feel the same way as a player. Uh, Do you think he's done at the top level or do you think he's still got something to offer? And if so, would you welcome him at Newcastle United? Uh, I've, well, I've not seen these rumours for one, but uh, I can't see it. It doesn't. I don't think it makes much sense. I think if you look at what we need and what he offers, it, they don't match up. I think. It, it, I feel like it's paper talk of he he has big wages. Newcastle have deep pockets. Let's put them together and, and see what happens. But, um, I mean, in terms of midfielders, we don't we don't need midfielders anymore. I think we've got five or six, and there's three spots. So I think we're we're well stocked there. Um, if you look at Ramsey, he probably plays as a number ten, with like sort of off the front man uh, type of thing. We don't play that system, um, so those things don't make sense to me. But I think it's hard to say whether what he's. About... <clears throat> what about Brentford? Obviously, they they did have Ericsson who played in that role, who's <laughs> now gone to Manchester United. Um, they couldn't make a a swoop for someone like Ramsey could they and almost fill that yeah. Ericsson role yeah I don't um, see why not considering that you know he's back in London and he's obviously lived in London because he played for Arsenal etc mm. I don't see why not like you know they've I mean if you look at the Christian Ericsson almost becomes a case study doesn't it like look look what you can do at Brentford on a short term deal you know we will give you the games it is a bit of a but isn't isn't Ericsson a bit of an anomaly though how? How do you mean? 
purely because he wasn't meant to be at that level. He was still meant to be into Milan prior to the incident, so he still had the quality to be at top level, whereas I feel like Ramsey's just completely declined. Yeah, maybe, but this is like the point I was like sort of coming to. We don't really know what level he's at much more because he was good when he left Arsenal and then everyone said when he went to Juventus, like, is he going to get games there? And, you know, three years later, he didn't get any. Barely got a look in, you know what I mean? So then with the the spell at Rangers, obviously it's a bit of a step down, but didn't really establish himself there because of his injuries. And I think when you think of Ramsey, it almost, it almost is similar to, to Wilshire as in, like, can you keep him fit and then get his best form out of him? But... You know, we've not seen his best form for four or five years, so maybe there is a bit of a question of, of what level he can play at. But until somebody takes a chance on him, you can't answer those questions. So if he's confident he can get back to the top level, a short-term deal at anyone in the Premier League is is a good move. I, I, I think the Nottingham Forest thing makes sense, but have they got the finances to, to pull that off as well as Lingard and as well as the... I think 10 other players they've signed this summer, you know, they must be getting stretched pretty thin now and be pretty close to ending their business for the summer. Um, you know, someone if someone takes a chance in him, I think he's not in a position to pick and choose too much. As you say, he's, there's five months to the uh, to the uh, World Cup, so he needs to, to get games in him and stay fit and stay in the loop and, you know, not, not have any rust when Wales go to uh, Qatar and try and like cause a few bloody noses and get through the group stage. So Aaron Ramsey, could he be on his way back to the Premier League? I do wonder if someone like Nottingham Forest or Brentford or someone at the bottom end of the Premier League, with no disrespect to those two teams, even though Brentford did pretty well, I just think maybe a bottom half side. Fulham. Fulham, yeah. Fulham makes sense. I've actually seen Fulham, one of the teams. They've got money. One of the teams that have been mentioned here. Um, It almost seems like a bit of a, a tombola, really, to see who... Aaron Ramsey will play for maybe Joel's right maybe he might not end up in the Premier League at all but what we do know is that he's available on a free transfer and what we also know is that is the end of today's Football Social Daily podcast Uh, next Friday we'll be getting our teeth stuck into the first Premier League game of the season unbelievable can't wait Uh, we'll see you the other side of the weekend though because from myself Joel and Marley that is it for today enjoy whatever you're doing I'm off to watch Sheffield Wednesday against Pompey before the real action in the Premier League starts that's proper football boys that's proper football have any of you two ever been to Hillsborough yes I have what's it like uh, it's good actually. It's uh, I got a mate who was a Sheffield Wednesday fan, um, so we went for Sheffield Wednesday versus Newcastle in a pre-season game a few few years back. But it's uh, it's good. It's a proper it's a proper football ground. It's way bigger than you expect um, for a team that's playing in in League One. But uh, yeah, it's a proper old school football ground. So nice and uh, sort of traditional. Look forward to that then. Pompey against Sheffield Wednesday. Joel's off to watch Withenshaw against. <laughs> someone are you hey, at least we get better quality football than Pompey <laughs> <laughs> that's a perfect way to end today's podcast have a great weekend we'll see you on Monday Football Social Daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk sports